Jack O'Connor said, don't ever read a paper. You're kind of thinking, why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me? It opens up something that you do not want opened. You the only have to be thing intercounty players should be looking at or listening to is the football podcast. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts. Gaelic football on Off The Ball. With AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. Now you're very welcome back. Our football coverage here on Off The Ball is with thanks to AIB. They're the proud sponsors of the G8 Senior Football Championship. You can check out the hashtag the toughest for more, particularly on this weekend where we've got two provincial football finals. Connacht and Munster on Sunday afternoon. You've got Sligo hoping to repeat the result of 2007 when they beat Galway in the Connacht decider. While Kerry go into the Munster final against Clare where their record reads 11 wins and one defeat against the banner. The man who was in charge for Clare's famous win in 1992 was John Mohan, who was with us. We've got Neil Ewing as well. How are you getting on, lads? Brilliant, well, and yourself? Good. good. Cannot complain good, at good. all. Good, well, how you doing? Hello, Neil. Hey, John, how are you? John, good. if I can take you down memory lane, I have to start with the first one. 1992, I would think, with all of your achievements in management over the years, must be one of the sweetest days you had across your career. I didn't fully appreciate at the time, Will, the, the magnitude of winning that Munster title, uh, to quite honest with you. Um, I got involved with Clare in 1990. Uh, I, was a, uh, I was 28 years of age at the time. I sat down with the uh, Clare management or the executive with a view to taking on a coaching role. And I asked the obvious question, well, who's the manager? And they told me they didn't have any idea who that might, who that might be. So I left Gort's hotel, uh, or Sullivan's Hotel in Gort on a, on a midweek evening, uh, got down to, to chat about being coach of the Clare team. I ended up coming home as manager or whatever that meant at the time. But uh, yeah, it was, an, it, it was an exciting time. Obviously, I did, as I say, beating Kerry, the, the aristocrats of Gaelic football, Jack O'Shea, his last game for Kerry, Seamus Moynihan, and his deb- uh, he made his debut on that occasion. Uh, but we... Once we got involved with Clare and we uh, got take, we got on a bit of a roll wheel, we won the All-Ireland B Championship in 1991. Ironically enough, I think uh, the, the shit hit the fan for, for Clare. Uh, for, uh, Clare. They had travelled up to play Sligo in a B Championship in 1990, around October our, uh, time, from the best of memory. They had no manager, they had no coach, and I think they had about just about 15 players. And they, they were beaten on that occasion, and things were pretty desperate. I suppose they must have been very desperate when they came knocking on my door. Uh, I was living in Galway City at the time. I was uh, based in Cuthbert and Barson at Lone. And as I say, I got stuck into management. And uh, we just, for some reason, we managed to get a little bit of organisation. Got a number of players back that wouldn't play with the county. Uh, and uh, got a bit of momentum going. Uh, winning that B title in 1991 gave us a bit of a, a huge momentum going into... Um, the championship of 92 and uh yeah we we, we put off what was a, a great victory for Clare and uh hard to believe it's 31 years ago but uh unfortunately it is yeah I've been reading a bit John about your training methods when you went in as well I mean as you mentioned you're 28 it's three years since your playing career has been brought to an end you're working with the army at the time and it seemed maybe some of those principles from the army training is what you brought in when you picked up that group of players Look at Will, uh, uh, stories will be embellished uh, with time. And uh, <laughs> I know some of the clear players went on record uh, suggesting that it was a bit of a torture camp. 
But I, I think when we played uh, Kerry in, in the 1991 championship, we were toe-to-toe with them for about 50, 55 minutes. Um, and it was only the last 15 or 20 minutes of the game, uh, we just ran out of steam and couldn't sustain what we had done so brilliantly well for maybe 50 minutes of the game. So quite clearly, it was a, a fitness issue. So we spent a bit of time on uh, um, strengthening that aspect of our game, shall we say. I can't put it any more subtly than that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we, look at, we, we, we did some hard runs. Uh, it was of its time. Uh, certainly now there'll be a little bit more science attached to it. Uh, there was no yeah, uh, nutritional psychology involved. It was just basic, hard, hard uh, work. And that was good enough back in its day. Certainly you, it wouldn't wash in today's modern game with all the uh, the backroom expertise and all sorts of... In fact, the GPS wouldn't allow us to do like some of the things we got away with back in those early days. You say that maybe now you appreciate it more than you would have done 30 years ago. But when you think about it, the scale of the achievement, to have beaten one of the real aristocrats of Gaelic football and for it to have been Clare's first win against carrying the championship since 1949 and also to be achieved in the context of, as you say, when you come into that team, it's B championship, it's struggling to get a panel of players together. That is one hell of a remarkable achievement there. It was. And I think it gave hope to a few other counties, including people would often suggest to me, and I'm certainly claiming that the football success uh, enhanced their horrors prospect, but by chance or coincidence, they, they did go on to win an All Ireland title in 1995, having uh, laboured in the bottom half of the ch- of championship seasons for quite a number of decades uh, prior to that. But uh, yes, I, I suppose um, it does. I don't think we get away with it now. And even though I'd love to see the likes of a, a clear win a, a month or tight on Sunday. I just feel it may not happen. I, I don't think they're good enough to beat a current uh, um, Kerry team. And that's what's happening. The big teams have got just a little bit better uh, will. They've, they've, they've moved on. And we've now... I, 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 a lot of us to do with finances, I'll be quite honest with you. Like, I mean, and uh, unfortunately, those that are in the second and third and fourth tier just kind of bridge the gap for whatever reason, whether, whether it's geographical or urbanization, combination of factors. But back then, it, you could get away with it. Leitrim repeated in 1994, uh, famously, uh, winning their uh, provincial title. But I just get the impression that they, you know, the opportunities mightn't be as easy for the so-called minnows, if you want to call it, not being disrespectful in any way. Uh, and incidentally, with, with Neil here, I just marvel at what, what Sligo have been doing for the last couple of years and just moving on to that very briefly, Will, like, um, the underage success has bubbled to the surface. A Hogan Cup final uh, with Summerhill College, which I was really delighted. I, I was lucky enough to win a Hogan Cup myself, and I really respect and appreciate the magnitude of winning a Hogan Cup. But to get to a Hogan Cup final for Summerhill after so many years not doing so was brilliant. Turbo Curry had been coughing up underage talent. And the likes of Sligo have done a really, really brilliant job in nurturing the talent with great coaches and a lot of hard work. And unfortunately, not every county has positioned themselves to do that. But certainly in Sligo's case, it has, it's beginning to, uh, um, I suppose, surface now with their Division 4 success. And, uh, you know, I saw them playing last year, Bob Crow Park against Cavan and Torchon Cup. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. They have a lot of talent. And to see their underage, under under 20s, winning a successful kind of title, it just gives an indication with really, really hard work and good investment in identifying the right guys 
to take the younger underage um, cohort of players uh, to the next level. They're doing that brilliantly well. Clare have done it we at, at senior level. I mean, what Colin Collins has, has achieved down there is quite remarkable. Seven years in Division Two, really box, boxing above the weight, you could say, uh, over the last number of years. I just begin to wonder and keep my fingers crossed that they go out and really put on a top-class performance on Sunday against Kerry, but I just think they might come up a little bit short. Yeah, like, Neil, when we look at this, I mean, obviously there's a romance of looking back to 92, but you look at how intimidating Kerry's record has been in recent times. Jack O'Connor goes into his ninth Munster final. He's won five of them across the period where he's been manager. They've only lost one Munster final in the last two decades. That was in 2008 against Cork. They lost the semi-final against Cork back in 2020, other than that, we could be talking about a huge run of Kerry victories in a row here. Um, Kerry have taken a real stranglehold over this province and their championship record in the last five where they've played against Clare, they've won by an average of 12 points. So in theory, at least, this is a, a hell of a task for Clare to try and overturn the current All-Ireland champions. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you know, when you when you say that out loud, it really highlights uh, the pedestal that Kerry are on in Munster I think John made a very important point there in terms of, um, you know, maybe what was possible 20, 30 years ago and what's possible now. I think, you know, maybe back in the in the 90s, maybe even the early 90s, uh, some of the bigger counties weren't as organized as maybe they should have been. And, you know, the, as I'm probably spearheaded by some of the, the counties in the north getting their act together, you know, Tyrone, you know, they got Club Tyrone up and running. That probably spurred the likes of a Kerry, the likes of a Dublin to, you know, step back and go, okay, what are we doing here? We can't just rely on the natural advantages that we have in terms of our history, maybe our playing populations. So, you know, you've had that with the bigger counties getting themselves organized. That's increased the gap. And I think on that note, you have to ask the question, what went on in Cork during that period of time that they weren't able to get themselves organized or that they delayed getting themselves organized? And I think for me, and it's maybe something that I that I rabbit on about too much, but a big thing that's changed from around that, you know, late nineties, early two thousands period is the league structure where, you know, we previously would have had divisions one A, one B, two A, two B. So you didn't have that huge divide where at the minute we have divisions one to four and the counties in division four, even the lower half of division three, they're getting no exposure to play in those big counties. And I think what has happened is a lot of the smaller counties have got their act together in terms of strength and conditioning and they're doing all the work that they need to do. But I think when you play outside your comfort zone, the skill levels are there, but they're just not tested, you know, at that higher level. And if the counties got more exposure to playing at that higher level, you know, there, there's a great opportunity there for them, which is why I'm absolutely delighted that Clare after all their success over the last few years, you know, maintaining Division Two status, they were kind of unlucky to come up against Curry in Munster semi-finals. But now they're going to get the chance to play Curry and go on and play, you know, three top quality games after that. In terms of you know Curry facing into Sunday, yeah, like it's let's be honest about it, it's a huge, huge task for Clare. But I think Colin Collins, you know, he's a defiant man. You know, you see him interviewed that defiance. You know, it, it's bouncing out of him. So I'm really interested to see what sort of plan he has come up with to, to take on this Kerry team. Yeah, I would think, Neil, when it comes to the plan, it has to be about shutting down space and trying to spoil. Um, because if they leave themselves open, this Kerry team have got so many good attackers. And we even saw with Clare last year where they pushed up a bit on Derry and Derry were able to expose spaces behind Clare. 
I would think shutting the bolt door and trying to make themselves very difficult to break down has to be priority number one for the Gaelic grounds on Sunday. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But and I don't think that should be anyway taken as a slight. And I think you know it's become very cliched in Gaelic football. You know, in the last well, quite a number of years to talk about defensive football. But you know, if you look at any field sport, you know the number one premise is to stop conceding goals or to prevent uh, conceding goals and points. So you know, anything going out has to have that uh, as their number one priority. And I think what's happened is. A lot of teams um, have obviously realised, okay, yeah, we, we need to be solid defensively, and they want to they want to get up and support the play and attack. But you know, you can only do what your opponent will allow you on some of these occasions. So yeah, I think Clare of common sense would suggest that they will set up to limit the space. The big thing I think Clare have in their favour is they have some serious uh, ball winners around the middle of the field that maybe other counties don't have. And if you were to look at possible weaknesses um, in Curry, it's maybe that midfield sector since David Moran uh, has stepped away. And that's not to say it is a weakness. It's a possible weakness because, you know, the weakness is definitely not in their forward line. Uh, you know, you even look at some of their defenders, they, they have pace uh, and aggression to burn there. So in terms of where they're not tested, it's that midfield area. And, you know, I think that's where Cor- or Claire were even able to turn the screw on Cork in the second half. They were able to win that primary possession further up the pitch. And that's maybe what happens sometimes um, for teams from lower divisions playing against, um, I guess, the so-called bigger teams, is that they struggle to, to win primary possession around the middle of the field. So that's somewhere Clare won't have an issue in, I feel. John, what's been your assessment of Kerry so far? Because some of the soundings out of Kerry was having Neil were chatting a few weeks ago about um, the article which was put into the Irish Times about Dara and he was saying that, uh, you know, maybe the depth isn't quite there within the Kerry panel. They haven't replaced David Moran, so therefore the favourites tag should be shunted across to Galway or to Dublin for this season. What have you made of Kerry the first few months of the season, John? Well, you know, <clears throat> last Sunday created a small little bit of confusion. Uh, because we saw a, a, an underperformance from Dublin. And uh, having watched Dublin against Derry in the Division Two final, I felt that uh, Dublin were um, just, uh, uh, they were just uh, um, taking a nice and easy through the league phase. They just did it sufficiently well to win the league title, get an extra game, a league title final, and move on. But uh, certainly, Kerry exposed them the last week. And I'm only surmising here in the last couple of days. Would Dublin be in the middle of a training load uh, and trying to get their timing spot on with a view to pool games? Because I don't want to be disrespectful to Loud, but one would surmise that Dublin will have sufficient uh, expertise and know-how and guide and experience to land a, a, an answer title um, Sunday week and without overexerting themselves. So I don't think, I think uh, Dublin at uh, this juncture uh, to me, despite uh, um, last Sunday's performance, another performance, and I'm not being dis- I'm discrediting Kildare for the great job they did, um, I, to me, they're ranked number one. Kerry, number two. Will we learn in, my, in the ranking for me? Uh, and that could change after Sunday because I'm just interested to see how where Kerry are at. They had an indifferent... I, I never saw such a shambolic performance from a Kerry team as I did against Mayo and McHale Park a number of weeks ago. A couple of months ago now, and they just looked in total disarray. And I think uh, um, Jack O'Connor's philosophy and approach was year one: win everything, beat everyone out the gate, win league, win championship, and he succeeded in doing so. This year, I think it's a question of pull the reins, 
get our six points, survive in Division 1, which he has done, and let's get our timing and our appetite absolutely spot on, as it did so brilliantly well for decades in the 70s and 80s, hitting that All-Ireland semi-final and peaking at the right time. And I just surmise that Kerry are trying to achieve the very, very same this year, something similar to what Dublin are doing. Will we learn a, a lot? I hope just uh, that Clare really put in a great performance. A bit of, I know that they, they, they had hoped to maybe for a home or away toss and, you know, go, Clare would go to Killarney, but it's, it's gone to Limerick. And look, at that's where we were lucky enough to win in 1992. I don't think that will count for anything, incidentally. But you asked the question, Will, I'm taking a little bit longer to answer than I should, perhaps. Uh I, 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 we don't really know. That we, we just sing. Everybody's talking, this championship is absolutely wide open. There's five or six teams get, that could win it. But right now, based on performance, I mean, are Derry good enough to win it? I'm not quite sure. Will Armagh beat Derry in an ultra-final? They could, they might, they will. I don't know. They have looked at times under performances in games you'd expect them to win. Dublin now are in that space. I just think maybe Kerry might be a little bit different. And with that ranking that I have worked out in my own head, in my opinion, Dublin are one, Kerry two. After Sunday, Kerry could be number one and Dublin number two. So in the ranking as to who might win an All-Ireland title. But uh, Kerry, I, I just think they have too much experience, too much guile, too much know-how. And they have, uh, I mean, the couple of uh, big-name players, the Sean O'Shea, the Clifford's, like, I mean, if, if they have the appetite, and we saw maybe Shane Walsh, underperforming to a certain extent for Goa this year, arguably player of the year last year, or right up there with the very, very best. He is, hasn't hit the sweet spot for Goa yet, yet, but I suspect he will when the pressure is at his, at his greatest. The same might apply to Kerry. Get through Sunday if they do. Get into the pool stages. The ironic thing about the pool stages is they don't have to be number, uh, come out of uh, number one. This is a quite bizarre, Will. Mm. I mean, Mayo, we're just t- chatting with a few friends of mine and colleagues about, uh, about it today and yesterday. I mean, Mayo might only have to win a single game in the pool, lose to Kerry, beat Louth and lose to Cork and still qualify as a third-ranked uh, player in the group and get into that preliminary quarterfinal. It's rather bizarre the way this whole thing is set up uh, now that we re- fully understand and realise the consequences of our winning or losing. So would Galway be better off, incidentally, I'm moving a little bit off topic here, would Galway be better off losing to Sligo in the provincial title on Sunday and getting an easier uh, um, pool uh, qualifying system? You know, the reality is they're winners. They're playing, I think, uh, Armagh and Tyrone and Westmead. Losers one would perceive that they might have an easier route to get into uh, a, a quarterfinal. So there's a lot of permutations, mm. and I think there's a couple of teams just, I won't say they're playing funny games. They're just trying to get their training load right and play at their best when it matters most. Neil, it is one of those quirks I wondered about, which was the draw happening this week for the All-Ireland Series and for the Talton. Uh, what about doing the Talton draw? Because that starts a week earlier than the All-Ireland Senior Championship. But to have a situation where teams can know the consequences of winning or losing their final as to who they play in the group stages, to me, seems a bit bizarre. Uh, yeah, and listen, you can see the reasoning behind it in terms of logistics, uh, you know, even teams in terms of traveling, trying to arrange uh, a lot of that in advance. Um, what it has done is uh, it's been perfect for managers to create a siege mentality because you're, you're left with a lot of people presuming who the winners will be in certain provinces 
maybe all of the provinces and it's given a lot of fodder to managers uh, to talk about being written off and uh, we've seen John Kiley try to use that one with the Limerick Hurlers uh, the week before last it didn't work last weekend but yeah a, a lot of people have been teed up to, to be insulted on the back of the draw <laughs> listen it, it's a difficult one it, it's not ideal to to uh, to have groups drawn and we don't actually know what the makeup of the groups will be you know 50% of the teams in them aren't confirmed and probably that's even exasperated by uh, the teams that have reached provincial finals this year where, you know, you're probably looking at the Ulster final where it's the only one where it's a Division 1 team and a Division 2 team. And I know Clare would have been Division 2 this year, but, you know, you can take it there, maybe Division 3 on the back of a relegation. So, you know, it's... Uh, you throw the groups, people want to talk about the groups. To talk about the groups, you have to make presumptions. So, yeah, it is a little strange... But I, I don't for a second think that there's any county or any manager or any group of players that are going to be looking at a potential group and saying, OK, let, let's throw our hat at this provincial final. You know, the provinces get a hard time, but I think for the players, definitely they want to win one. Uh, number two, they definitely do not want to lose. You look at any of those matchups and, you know, there, there's no team or none of the perceived bigger teams in those games uh, want, want to lose to the perceived uh, weaker teams. And then, again, for the players, I think you can have all the A versus B games in training and lads, you know, stock will rise, you know, they'll move up the ladder, maybe get themselves into a first 15 or, you know, maybe get themselves into a 26. But performances in championship games, you know, no, ma no matter what the opposition or, or what the score they might be, uh, carry a lot more stock than performances in A versus B games. And I do, I just remember though, uh, Dublin and uh, Loud is actually another Division 1 uh, versus Division 2 game. So, um, And it's probably one that, that will be really, really interesting as well, the form that Loud are in. Mm. John, give us a manager's perspective here on something Neil has just said, which is um, perceived writing off of your team being used as a motivation. So you're Tony McEntee, Kieran McGinney, Colin Collins at the moment, or Mickey Hart, the four teams who are considered the underdogs going into the finals over the next two weekends. Is that something the manager can actually use? Does that actually work on players if you say, do you know what, the media over there in uh, Dublin have decided we're not going through? <laughs> you know, um, absolutely. Like, I mean, we've told more lies in dressing rooms and uh, stories concocted of what they read and what they heard. We've, I, I've done that several times in order to uh, try and inspire a team and get that little edge. Look, at there's so many tricks in the books and I've read some fantastic stories about managers pulling off uh, famous lies uh, um, in dressing rooms uh, where the concocted stories of what the media might have said. In fact, one famous manager who remained re nameless reading dr directly, uh, quoting from a certain newspaper, a Sunday Independent, and he just was concocting words and making up the stories went along, which was totally fabricated uh, to inspire a certain player. But look, I mean, well, the reality is there are some great stories uh, told and some great stories that will remain untold, unfortunately, as to what kind of trickery goes on in trying to aspire a team. But look at most managers are great liars. There you <laughs> go, Neil. Confirmation, if we ever needed it, that managers are more than happy to make up whatever narrative is required. I saw yeah, clubs... I was wondering what story John was making up as he was reading that Sunday Independent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that the mission, John, that the manager was yourself, which is what Neil's implying here? <laughs> not quite, no, but anyway, you get the picture. I, I'm, not, I'm not fabricating what I said. There was actually 
factual evidence here that will uh, substantiate what I've just said uh, from a Sunday Independent article in particular. And if you do a small Google on it, you'll find out exactly what I'm talking about after the show. <laughs> I do think, though, from a player's perspective, that you know, I'm not sure what power that has, uh, you know, among today's intercounty players in terms of motivating them. You know, there's access to so so much information you know, online. They're seeing probably so much maybe through social media, you know, that that probably has more of an impact on them because they're hearing it, you know, a lot more repeatedly there. And I think the real impact that it can have is maybe in the people they meet around the county in the week running up to the game. You know, people, every second person they say, and, you know, talking about, oh, you've been written off or such and such said that you have no chance, this type of thing. And players try to shut that out but, you know, it has to creep in and it can actually take, uh, you know, become draining trying to shut it out and to convince yourself you're not hearing it. Yeah. Uh, one that I saw, and John will be familiar with Ballycommon with his last three years in Offaly, is that they won uh, one of the Offaly Tier Championships last year. And what they brought into their dressing room, Neil, was a newspaper cutting of the power rankings of the start of the year where it was said they had no chance of winning the title. And they had it on county final day stuck up in the dressing room. Uh, yeah, I can't write that well. Uh, did the team who came maybe second last uh, in the power rankings and got knocked out of the championship earlier bring the power rankings in as well? I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and check it. But I just thought it was interesting. The lads uh, all had to get their picture with the newspaper cutting that was there. I think it's maybe uh, squeezing whatever type of inspiration you can possibly get out. Yeah, I think it's more uh, it's more a bit of crack when, when it falls in your favour than, than a motivation uh, that's going to get you over the line. I think so. I think that picture I would... Imagine, I can't imagine, Will or Neil, uh, like, I mean, the great Joe Kernan uh, um, with his Armagh team and winning his all Ireland title, the halftime story, coming in and smashing his runners-up trophy off the, off, the, off the floor, the dressing room wall, missing one or two players uh, as he flung it to the wall. I mean, I agree, Neil, you won't... Managers are smarter. Players are smarter now. Like I mean, as you say, the access that they have to sports psychologists, etc., that might upset the trend or the mood in the dressing room because everybody has their own way and they're so, it's so professional now. Like I mean, I think Mayo have doubled up on everything, and I've, we've seen that with most uh, of the big intercounty teams. There's so many, many resources, uh, many of them with big egos. And uh, certainly, uh, in some cases, they might necessarily like a, a manager tiptoeing into what would be perceived as your patch when it comes to uh, the psychology and, you know, getting a team ready for, for action. But, uh, yeah, certainly the thing has changed. Uh, and some of that kind of stuff that I alluded to would not be mentioned addressed them today. Very good. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we'll be taking a look at the uh, Connacht final between Galway and Sligo. Uh, don't forget that our Gaelic football coverage here on Off the Ball is in partnership with AIB. They are the proud sponsors of the Senior Football Championship. Check out the hashtag The Toughest for more. Welcome back. We're looking forward to Sunday's Provincial Gaelic Football Finals. Uh, before the break, we were taking a look at Munster between Kerry and Clare. Uh, the first Provincial Final of the year is at McHale Park on Sunday, uh, where Galway seek a 49th Connacht title when they go up against Sligo. Sligo playing in the final for the first time since 2015. That was a day to forget, uh, where they were beaten by Mayo 625-211. to But they did beat Galway back in the 2007 decider. John Mon and Neil Ewing are still with us. Neil, um, earlier on, 
John was buttering you up slightly by saying how well Sligo have been advancing under Tony McEntee, winning Division 4, the underage success starting to come to the boil now at this stage too. And this is Sligo back into a provincial final for the first time in eight seasons, um, even being underdogs against Galway. This has been, I would say, a lot of the targets for this year have already been achieved by Sligo even before they take the pitch of the weekend. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for Sligo, the big target this year had to be getting out of, out of Division 4. Probably disappointed not to have done it over the last two seasons. Um, but, you know, really, it was a necessity this year. And a necessity for the current group of players, but also a necessity for those under-20s that are coming behind them as well. You know, uh, I mentioned it earlier about, you know, you become, I guess, accustomed to playing at a certain level. And we want those under-20s coming into the highest level of football possible. You know, it, it might take them a little, you know, even one, two games longer to find their feet, maybe in Division 3, you know, hopefully Division 2 in time than it would in Division 4. But we're going to have, in three, four years' time, a much better standard player if we can start to move up through the division. So, yeah, absolutely. Division 4 uh, promotion this year uh, was absolutely critical. The way it fell with the Division 4 final being on, uh, well, I guess just seven days before the championship opener in London, um, probably meant that a Division 4 title wasn't crucial. Um, it was definitely one, you know, Tony McEntee would have swapped a win over London in the first round of the championship uh, if he had to take defeat against Wicklow in that Crow Park final. The Crow Park final, it was a funny game. You know, first half conditions were terrible. Wicklow looked considerably more impressive team in the first 15 minutes. But, you know, what I liked about Sligo that day was that, you know, some of their, what would be considered more attacking players, um, you know, really knuckled down, got a few important turnovers. Sean Carabine turned over ball um, on the 45. Sligo got a score from it, brought them back into the game. Then Sligo got a goal just before half time uh, and teed them up to, to kick on. And they were a lot more impressive in the second half. I think they were a lot more impressive in the second half and uh, because of their condition. Maybe Oshin McConville in year one in Wicklow, um, you know, a newish sort of squad, maybe in terms of their strength and conditioning, maybe just that two or three seasons behind where this group of Sligo players are, you know, probably around 2008, well, 2019, there was a big turnover of players in the Sligo squad and there hadn't been, you know, a, a turnover or anything like that in the previous few seasons. Sean Boyle has uh, reluctant to give another Mayo man credit, but Sean Boyle from Mayo has come in there on the strength and conditioning side. And, you know, even through COVID, he was very diligent with, with that group of players. You know, he invested a lot of his own time, you know, nearly one-to-one -one management of some of those players. And you can really start to see that conditioning shine through at the minute against other Division 4 teams. That probably leads into one of the concerns they'd have for Sligo is that, we're on the back of a nine-game winning run, but you look up at the look at the makeup of the teams in that nine games, and you're looking at uh, London twice, New York, Wicklow twice, Carlow, Waterford, Wexford, Leitrim. So what Sligo have shown is that they're superior to Division Four opposition. My worry is that Sligo gets some, even I guess if it's subconsciously among the players, if they think that level is going to be good enough uh, when they go into uh, McHale Park on Sunday, or if management think that the game is going to go away or going to allow them to play to that level and set up like they did against other Division 4 teams. So it's 
it's brilliant to be coming in on the back of that nine game uh, winning run but it's also a possible danger given that we haven't been tested that's a difficulty John trying to bridge that gap from last summer being in a Talton Cup semi-final playing in Division 4 this season and then getting those two championship wins against London and New York it's a big step up going from that quality to play against a proven entity in Galway who got to an All-Ireland final last year who've been to a league final this season who've beaten the Rossies in the Hyde to get to this final that's a big gap to try and bridge uh, There's no question about that Will but I mean there's been an incremental uh, improvement in Sligo from last year I mean every team going over to London from Connacht are always concerned. They had an emphatic victory. I mean, I was sweating bullets when off we were playing in New York last year because of the unknown, the uncertainty. What are they going to be like? How will they travel? I mean, I couldn't have foreseen anything like the scoreline that they produce. A team that a week or two earlier had beaten Leitrim. I mean, that would suggest, yeah, they're on a rich vein of form. The confidence is sky high. This is... Get up, lads. Reckless abandoned football, albeit keeping it tight at the back and getting get into that uh, through that first quarter intact, not conceding any goals is going to be critical for them. But I mean, I think they can afford to go up and throw caution at the wind and have a right goal. I, if I was in charge of Saigo, I'd be saying, look, guys, I'd rather go up and play a level of entertainment and play a kind of a a, a game that might be easy on the eye that'll give a day out to Saigo supporters. Um, you know, don't be afraid to lose. You know, go up and have a right go at it. Um, Galway will treat Saigo with the utmost respect. Now, remember, Galway have lost a week. They went away to Portugal a week after the league final. They're flying out on the Monday morning. Their week's first, that week's preparation on their training camp in Portugal would have been focused on Mayo for a Connor title tilt. That was the way everybody foresaw it a couple of weeks ago. Here they are. So as far as I'm concerned, psychologically, they've lost a week. So now they have to readjust, realign themselves. And now it's all about Sligo uh, when they get into a kind of final. They won't have the same kind of hurt. Mayo haven't beaten them in that league final. Uh, They won't have the same kind of hurt. And that rivalry that exists between Mayo and Galway won't won't be there on Sunday. And I I mean, I I genuinely feel that Sligo will take... um, We talk about Loud, one of the form teams of the year. Sligo could have beaten them, or um, awfully could have beaten them last Sunday. I mean, they had one or two chances at the at the death. You could argue, well, if, the, if it would have been justified. But the the hung in there, getting themselves a, a, an opportunity to get into a provincial final, and they were so unlucky. I mean, Saigo adopt the same philosophy. Let's go and have a right cut at this. And uh, I, I I expect I don't expect uh, Saigo to win. I'll be very honest with you, but I expect they will see uh, and work on improving some of the processes that have been working on that famous cliche that everybody talks about now, improving the processes and staying tight to the back, not conceding a big uh, a big score and really, you know, justifying exactly where they are. Um, promotion Division 3, they're, they're a quality team and they're building on a lot of the confidences in Sligo football right now. Neil, when it comes to this weekend, Darren O'Sullivan made the claim when we were chatting to him a couple of weeks ago that this Galway team have got the best front six forwards in the country. Um, people debated that. Uh, many felt that still there's more talent maybe in Kerry and Dublin. Others agreed that Galway have that talent. But you look particularly at Burke Comer Walsh as a potential inside forward line to try and stop this current weekend. Um, that is a hell of a forward line that Galway can call upon for the weekend. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, 
I couldn't disagree with what John, uh, I couldn't disagree more with what John said there in terms oh, of Slayo going down to Castlebar and playing with reckless abandon on Sunday. You know, personally, that's the last thing I want to see. You know, Sligo, you know, they don't need to be in the entertainment business. They need to be in the, the business of putting themselves in the best possible position to win a comic title. So for Sligo, reckless abandon isn't the way to go. And, you know, you mentioned it there, Dara mentioned it a few weeks ago. Galway do have an absolutely potent forward line. That full forward line is, is, is top, top class. You know, you can split airs over um, what team in the country has the best full forward line. But, you, you know, there's no, there's never going to be an accurate answer to that. But what Sligo need to do is, well, you know, it, it comes in a number of different ways. They need to limit the supply of ball to those guys and they need to get the matchups right on them as well. And the guys that are, I would hope, going to be there to, to, to help to double up and to cover some space, you know, need to work to a level of, I guess, and this is where playing against teams at a higher level comes into it, work to a level of intelligence and game smarts that they haven't got to before and to a, a physical output that they haven't got to before. And, you know, a lot of that even comes down to concentration. You know, you can afford to maybe switch off for five seconds in every 60 seconds in Division 4. You can maybe afford to switch off for one second in every 60 seconds uh, when you're playing a Division 1 team. So it's Aristotle going to be ready for that. I think reckless abandon has to be forgotten about until maybe the last 10 minutes. You do what you can, stay in the game for the last 10 minutes. You bring it down to that. And then, you know, Sligo do have some pace. They have quality, quality attackers. Use that pace. Use that skill in the full forward line and the full forward line in general in the last 10 minutes. And, you know, hope that that's going to be enough to, to leave you in a position to get you over the line. You don't get over the line. This is worst case scenario. You know, you've put in a, a performance that you can really, really take a lot from. And I think that's where this is different to other years. Sligo have three more games to come after this as well. What they want to come out of this kind of final with is a kind of title ideally. And if they don't, a platform to bring into those three games that are coming, you know, within two weeks. Because what's happened even during my time with Sligo, you know, we were probably on average a division, middle of division three team. And, you know, every year we go out and play a division one team in championship. And you might get beaten. Some years you might put up a better performance than others. But every year you learned an awful, awful lot from that game against the Division 1 team. But the problem was you had to wait another 12 months to play another Division 1 team. And any of the things that you had learned or, you know, even those game intelligence things, getting to the pitch of a game had been lost because you had played another season at a lower level with seven or eight games against lesser opposition before that. So for Sligo, huge opportunity to go down to Castlebar try and win a kind of title, but also a huge opportunity to bring this group of players and this squad on with a guaranteed four more games this season against top quality opposition. And Neil, just to give you the final word on this, what's your assessment of Galway being, given that you got to see them in championship since we spoke last, against the Rossies? What did you make of that performance and how do you rate Galway now going into this weekend? Yeah, they were, listen, they were very, very impressive against Roscommon. That's a Roscommon team that had beaten uh, the league champions Mayo. And yes, Roscommon came back into it in the second half, but it just kind of felt a game where Galway had them at arm's length. And I think, you know, that's from a Sligo perspective, I was hoping that Roscommon, you know, could have got over the line against Galway. 
because I don't think Roscommon are as physically intimidating as, as Galway are. And I think, you know, that might have allowed Sligo an even better chance of winning the kind of title this weekend. But yeah, I think Galway, they have, you know, some phenomenal athletes around the pitch. And, you know, when you get to Pro Park later in the year, that's what's going to allow you to compete with Kerry, with Derry, with Dublin, is the level of athletes you have. If you, if you can have all the skill in the world, but if you don't have that running power, that athleticism, you're not going to beat one of those top three, four teams and win in Ireland. John, great to catch up again. You too, Will. And Neil, thanks a million for joining us as well. Enjoy the finals of the weekend, lads. Thanks very much, Will. Thanks, John. See you, Will. Gaelic football on Off the Ball. With AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest for more.